Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, uh, previewing Michigan's game against Northern Illinois and also talking about some of the key talking points going on around Michigan football this week in this episode, it's going to be a little bit less of like a pre, you know, previewing Michigan versus Northern Illinois. I think we both have agreed that this is probably on paper, at least the easiest game on Michigan's schedule certainly is not viewed as a toss up in, in any betting lines or anything like that. So, so kind of looking at the general theme of this episode is what would constitute as a successful weekend for Michigan. But, but first, just because it, it was a conversation that, that came up from both of us before the show, we got to talk a little bit about Michigan football's atmosphere. I mean, it, it is something that, that, you know, Mike McDonald went out of his way to mention today. Uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh mentioned it. The players have talked about it. And I think most fans who either were watching or at the game had, had something to say about it. And, and we go back and forth on this all the time. You know, is, does Michigan have a good football atmosphere? Those kind of debates. Should there be more night games? Should there be more of an emphasis? Steve, you watched on TV, and you also have heard kind of this. This isn't our recruiting episode that will come out uh, shortly after this one. I, I think it'll come out tomorrow. But you have a pretty strong sense. This is about as good. This this was a good atmosphere at the very least. Uh, borderline a great one. I, I, I'm just curious, kind of your thoughts coming out of this weekend on, on not just how good it appeared, but also the significance of how good it appeared. Yeah, I, I think it is a great one. I think you said a really good one, if not great. I think it is. I think that was a great atmosphere. Like we said, we talked a little bit before we recorded a lot of factors. I think that led into it being what it was. Like you said, it was the nine 11 anniversary. So the, the amazing, the, the show by the band, the pregame with the flag and the, and the flyover and stuff. I mean, really well done, really, uh, really cool tribute and all that. It was really, uh, really neat to see that. It was the first big game at Michigan stadium in almost two full calendar years, you know, so there's, there's that pent up it's back, you know, energy type type stuff. Uh, I think gravitating throughout the stadium, but me, my biggest thing was it's not, that's not going to be every week. And we know that. And you and I agreed as interesting as I, it's not so much about can Michigan's atmosphere be better as it is it, partially, I guess. I feel like I always felt like Michigan stadium can be one of those top three, top four atmospheres on a week to week basis in college football. For my, you know, I've been to, I haven't been to a ton of college stadiums. I've been in many of them, but I haven't been in a ton of them when they're full. I I just, I think when Michigan stadium is at its best, I don't know how many other stadiums and atmospheres 
can match it. I think you got to think, obviously you think some of the schools down South. I know LSU is always one that's mentioned. I think the swamp is always a big one. Beaver stadium, Penn state, Ohio stadium, uh, you know, Oregon out West. I think Austin's always pretty crazy, but you know, Michigan always felt like she could be right up there if it was at its best more often. So that's my takeaway. Uh, one of my takeaways from from just that part of the, the game was was that it's it was really cool to see and it was awesome. But it's also like, uh, can they can, what can be done to replicate that more often? Because you know, again, not, they're not playing Washington every week. You know, they'll they'll host Northern Illinois, Rutgers the next two weeks. They'll both be early games. It's hard to imagine that uh, you know it's not not going to be a repeat of Saturday, but you know, that type of stuff can really, uh, I think it goes a long way for the players and the coaches, like the team. And it goes a long way on the recruiting trail, as I think Michigan fans will find out coming out of this weekend. So that was kind of my thing on it. Like you said, I think we agreed. And I know you're going to say, I think Michigan Stadium actually, in a lot of ways, is underrated on the national scale because I think a lot of people think of, or at least try to uh, portray a noon game against Northern Illinois being what Michigan stadium is normally like. And I think you and I would agree that's not really the case, but I think, I, I don't know, like if, if it's just the, the setup all week was so great, the social media stuff by the actual program, like everything was uh, the lead up was so great to it that, you know, I think, I kind of wonder aloud if if more could be done on a week to week basis to make Michigan Stadium uh, more than it already kind of is, I guess. Yeah, I think I mean one. Yeah, it was it was in person. That was about as as loud as I've seen it get. I I I do think Michigan's atmosphere is underrated though, and I said it actually before the Washington game. I think they're they're top three or four in the Big Ten. I've been in big time primetime games at every big 10 stadium, except for Nebraska. I think Penn state has Michigan beat. I think, I think Ohio state has Michigan beat. I don't think it's like, I still think Penn state's like quite a bit ahead of Ohio state. I think Ohio state's in its own category. And I think Michigan actually is, is right at the top of the next category, which includes Wisconsin and Iowa. And I don't think anyone else is close. Um, you know, I think I, I, yeah. So I, you know, it's not, there's not too much more to say. And I, I think Michigan has a top 20 atmosphere and I will say to fans who say, Oh, they finally did, did a night game atmosphere. Right. That's, that's wrong too. I honestly, I think Michigan's atmosphere in night games has always been exceptional. It didn't need, you know, the, the maze out was a little bit cooler this, this time because it seemed to be a little bit more of a, of a consensus. It was more heavily promoted by Michigan athletics. I, I saw everyone tweeting, you know, the, it got borderline to like bullying people in the wearing maze. Uh, I actually did have one friend. He was, he was at a tailgate and he was wearing a blue shirt and someone bullied him in the, on the street. And so he went and bought a $30 t-shirt that was maze. So clearly like there was a little bit more of a push in that regard, but I go back in, in to 20, uh, 2018 they hosted Wisconsin and Penn state. You, you can't watch those games and tell me that wasn't a great atmosphere. Uh, in 2019, 
there was some pretty bad weather, but that Notre Dame game was still pretty exceptional atmosphere wise. And so I think when there's a big time opponent in town and, and it's a night game, the atmosphere has, has consistently been really great. Uh, and then as far as the noon game part, I actually am with you. I think Michigan's noon game blowout atmospheres are always a little bit uh, tamer or calmer than maybe other top 20 programs. But I think that's changing. I honestly do. I, I think the student section has been, really since I was a kid, has been phenomenal. They've always brought it. It's not, it's, it's, it was always the middle sections. And I think what I'm starting to notice, and I noticed it last week and in week one, the end zones, those are, I, I think the, the 35-year-old Michigan fan is a little bit more rambunctious at games than it was, than they were 20 years ago. Like the 35-year-olds of, of then, you know, I think, I think culturally Michigan Stadium was a little bit more calmer than other rabid, gigantic fan bases. But now, I mean, you watch, uh, like, t- take, like, the Mr. Brightside tradition. It's not just the student section. They're obviously the loudest, but it's, it's really both end zones are in on every song, every chant. You know, if they're, if they're booing the officials, it's, it's, it's not just the student section anymore. And, and so I think, I think the, what I would call the millennial fan base is starting to spread that throughout the stadium. I still think 20-yard line to 20-yard line, Michigan still has a little bit of a problem just getting consistent uh, ferocity. Is that, maybe that's the right word. But I, I think I, in, just even in my time covering Michigan, I think the atmosphere has improved. I think it's become a little bit more consistent. I do think Michigan should. So, Steve, I'm curious your thoughts on this because night games have always been a little bit of like a hot-button topic among Michigan fans, people travel from really far away obviously it's it's one of the bigger tailgating crowds and ann arbor maybe doesn't want to host it and a night a full day of that every single weekend and you know the national fan base people i know people who fly in from you know new york and minnesota and even california to for these games do you think michigan as a program should be pushing for night games though just because of what that looks like just because of how recruits see that, how, how, I mean, honestly, how just any, anyone sees it. I think their reputation for so long was day games. I mean, they're kind of like the Cubs. They took, it took them forever to do a night game. And so their reputation was, even if they're not that good, they still sell at the stadium, which is not nothing. Some, some teams when they host Northern Illinois or similar type games, they don't sell out the stadium. And some of those fan bases talk smack about Michigan's fan base. And, and, and I will say there's something to be said for the sellout streak, um, for being very legitimate, for having a full stadium no matter what. But should Michigan be emphasizing the, uh, night games, maybe, maybe add to the, ma- to the annual maze out, maybe they add like a blue out or a checker pattern, I mean, should, should Michigan athletics be doing those kind of things, which other programs do to try to create a little bit more of a, I don't know, intense atmosphere. Maybe that's the right word. Cause I think they have a good atmosphere. I think they have home field advantage. I think the, 
the numbers are there, but I also, having talked to players and former players, there is a boost when they're playing at home, but it maybe isn't like an, a hostile environment all the time. Should Michigan be trying to do whatever they can to create that based on what we saw on Saturday? I'm a little torn, if only because I think you just need to find a delicate balance. I think it has to be fully opponent dependent, right? Um, you know, like no night games against Middle Tennessee State, even if it's the season opener. So, but at the same time, you know, the the Michigan's had so much success playing night games at home. That from a from that standpoint. I think they've had enough success at night games and home to think that there might be something to it in that regard. Sure. Again, not, not I think a, the only loss was to Michigan state in 2017, right? Yeah. And in a game where they gave it away uh, at, you know, what five turnovers for, for state yeah. and for Michigan, they, they, they still lost. So, you know, a game that they had a thousand opportunities to win uh, again, not a guarantee they're going to win that game. But like I said, I, I think you, you win as many as they have in a, a, oftentimes the way they win. You know, I mean, look at what the beatdown they put on Notre Dame in 19. You look at Saturday. So, you know, I just, but at the same time, it's also one of those things you don't want it. You don't want the, the shine to kind of wear off of it by overusing it. So I think, like I said, I think there's a little bit of a balance there. I would go a little more with it. Maybe have another, I like the idea, like you said, the checkerboard idea, I think is a cool idea. Um, a blue out at night would be kind of fascinating. Actually, that'd be kind of a really interesting Dynamic. I think it'd be cool. I, 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 I kind of do. Always I kind of do too. I mean, even yeah. when I was like ten years old, when I when I think Michigan first started doing maze outs, I was like, you know, a blue out might be intimidating in a different kind of way. Right? Maybe it'd, it'd be kind of weird uh, to watch. But see I, that. Iowa does the blackout, right? Yes. Yes. So Iowa's a great place to watch a football game. So uh, yeah, I think for them, I think I think you just need to make sure it's a delicate balance. You don't want to overdo it. But with what you saw on Saturday, I don't think there's anything stopping them from being able to create that atmosphere two times in one year, let's say again, opponent dependent. Um, but also, like I said, that high success rate that they've had in those games to me, I think it's gotten to the point where it's a little bit more than saying they're just winning. Cause it's at home. It just seems like they always play so much better in those situations that if I'm Michigan, I'm maybe looking to add a little bit to that to um, yeah. And it'll help the reputation. It'll help that reputation which is a thing, you know, it doesn't, might not matter to actual Michigan fans and people that go to the games. But again, you talk about recruiting, talk about, uh, you know, that type of stuff. I, I think that tough, that can have an impact. Just that, that perception uh, can have a real impact on maybe even wanting kids to come up and visit, you know, just getting them interested to come up in the first place. So again, based on the reactions that, you know, Bryce and Sam got over the weekend from the kids that were there. I mean, you can't tell me that that atmosphere didn't make a huge difference and didn't make them want to come back again, you know? And, and right. so, so from that standpoint, I think, you know, like I said, don't overdo it, but I think they could maybe push the envelope a little bit more and, or, and expand their possibilities there. Yeah. I, I, I think that there should be two. This would be my proposal. Maze out, knock that out in September you know, when people can do it. And then it maybe October there's, there's always going to be, you're going to play someone <laughs> at home in the big 10 and in October, uh, this year is actually an especially difficult year. Cause their only home October game is Northwestern. I, I think that's homecoming. 
Um, so you probably don't want to do that for, for homecoming, just the dynamics and everything. And Northwestern is, I don't know if that would, I don't know if you'd get the same kind of juice you might get for a, for an early season non-conference game even, but they host Indiana November 6th. I think if I, if I, if I were Michigan, I would try to convince Indiana to do a night game, talk about the exposure, talk about it being, you know, an opportunity for them. Maybe you can convince them to do it. And then I would do a blue out. That would be, I think two a year. I think you're absolutely right. You don't want to overdo it. There is a, a, some diminishing returns there, but I think, I think that's, that would make a big difference. I don't know if it would, you know, lead to them having a top five recruiting class, but it would be, it would make Michigan. It would put them on par. I think with, with a lot of the other top 15 programs in terms of atmosphere, because I, I do think, I don't think Michigan fans get enough credit for the atmosphere. I think, you know, I think anyone who has like kind of the, Oh, it's the quietest 110,000 group of people you'll ever see, or or it's like a library or whatever. Those are old tropes that there, there was a time where that used to be the case. I don't think that's the case anymore, but I think one way to convince the world, I guess that, that, that that's not really the case anymore is, is, is games like the Washington game. And I think the players like it too. I mean, I don't know everyone under 30. I don't know anyone under 30 who goes to bed before midnight <laughs> anymore. So it's not like it would be, I, I think, I think the world just stays up later than they used to. So I don't think it would be like out of place to do two intentional ones a year. Now I think TV contracts can actually add another one. And that's probably why Michigan will only pick one out a year. But I think, I think you do. I think if you're, if if I were Michigan, I would, I would say, yeah, do two a year, one, maybe a non-conference or September game. And then one that's, that's a little bit more in the meat of the, of the season. People might want to wear their sweatshirts or their coats. Fine. Make it a blue out. Meet them, meet them halfway. Uh, could be, could be something pretty fun. Plus, if you're Michigan, people have to buy shirts sometimes. To, you know, match whatever everyone else is wearing. So, probably not the worst money making idea. Anyway, uh, enough on that. Obviously, this week won't be the same atmosphere. But, but I'm curious about that Rutgers game. Three thirty. Pretty good chance Michigan will be ranked. I guess Rutgers could be three and zero. Maybe that will be a good litmus test to see how Michigan's atmosphere is on, on kind of a, a medium game. Anyway, other topics, another thing that came up when I was watching the film, obviously it's a discussion point. It's been a discussion point for a little over a week. This defense one seems ahead of schedule. I think that, I think everyone was pleased with how the defense has performed so far, but the, the thing that I think is very interesting and I wanted to get your thoughts because I know I know we've talked about this in the summer about how important this was. A lot of new faces on the defense. A lot of players who really have not contributed before. Nikai Hill Green, RJ Moten, Chris Jenkins, uh, Junior Colson, actually, this past weekend, David Ajabo, Mike Morris. You could probably throw DJ Turner in there. A lot of guys are hitting, not, not just playing, because obviously there are going to be new players playing all the time, but really hitting the ground running. And, and the part that I think is really important, making other returning starters or returning players 
earn their snaps. You know, there's actually some real legitimate competition. And, and in a lot of cases, the new or not new, but the younger players are winning. So, Steve, I, you know, I, I have my thoughts, but I'm curious from your perspective. So far, that has to be the best case scenario for Michigan's defense as they try to quickly turn turn the defense around. Uh, but what but what are some of your thoughts? I mean, these are players that that, you know, we before the season, I think we forecasted, we projected. I think every player I listed was on my breakout players list, except Mike Morris, maybe. Um, what, what how important is this and, and what have you seen? in this regard so far? Well, it sets the table for the future, which again, I think I, yeah, it I, doesn't I, hurt, right? I was out. Well, I want to say almost every week that we've recorded and talked about the defense we've gri- we griped about how this never happened under Don Brown. It was one of the, really the only major gripes I had, you know, is that a guy like Nikai Hill green, let's say last year got, that got no real playing time when he should have, you know, in, a, in a, especially in a useless season. So to see Junior Colson in week two get more snaps than Hill Green, that's that's to me, that's like so huge because I, I think there's a there's a benefit to a baptism by fire approach with young guys who have immense talent. You know, you, like at some point, you know, we see a lot of the other top programs in the country put guys out there as true freshmen with no reservation. Ohio State, Denzel Burke at corner. You know, it's a, a perfect example of a guy who now he looks like he's going to start. He'll probably only be there three years and be gone. You know, and uh, so it's been it's been it's refreshing from uh, just a, a rotation standpoint. But it's they have they, it, Michigan all of a sudden looks like they have a lot of depth. <laughs> um, you know, maybe linebacker still a little thin even with Colson's emergence, you know, because Michael Barrett really hasn't played a ton, but you at least know you have a guy. Barrett's your number four linebacker though. That's true. I would that's, argue you have depth. At I that was point. just going to say, yeah, like th- that's one benefit of it. That's a, that's one position, I guess. So actually I'm going to just say I was flat out wrong there and say that's one position where maybe you feel a lot better than you did heading into the season. Corner might still be the one spot where it's been the same three guys, but even DJ Turner's emergence, and I thought he played pretty well on Saturday, you know, has, has been, is big for them. But I just, I, I mean, if anybody's listened to this pod consistently knows I'm, I'm ecstatic to see Rod Moore in one-on-one coverage against a Washington receiver, even if he gave up the touchdown. Um, I, I think that like, those are just, like, I think we even may have talked about it in the post game, but it, those are learning experiences. And that's how, that's the only way, that these young guys are, are going to get better. And so, and get better faster, I should say. I mean, they'll get better in practice and, 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 you know, but, but one of the things on, at least under Don Brown was it just, it felt like it was a, it was more of a marathon for these guys to kind of really get fully developed. And when, now to his credit, when they would develop a lot of times he, you know, there were a ton of high impact players that came through Michigan's defense under yeah, Don a lot Brown. of redshirt freshmen, that were right. like first team all Big Ten: Devin yes. Bush, Glee Hudson, Lavert Hill, David Long. But it just—if I'm missing someone, but right, yeah. I just like this style of getting these freshmen on the field a lot faster. Uh, and I, th- I just think it's—it's it's, as the Big Ten season goes on, your main guys will be fresher for it probably, and the younger guys will be more equipped if called on 
to keep the level of play at a higher in a higher spot than it would have been if you're throwing in a, a totally green player who hasn't played but maybe a handful of junk snaps and a couple blowouts you know would be so to the development credit though it's not as it like Yes, like uh, I think Colson, maybe the guy we were talking about, I think you mentioned he didn't grade out well on Saturday, at least according to Pro Football Focus. But like he still looked like he belongs out there, though. You know, so it's they're not just throwing these guys out there for the sake of throwing them out there. It feels like whatever they're coaching and teaching these guys is at least putting them in a position to, to put them out there and like give them that opportunity. So, you know, I couldn't be a bigger fan. of, And I agree with you. The defense is way ahead of schedule, in my opinion. Um not perfect, obviously. Uh, there's there's a long ways to go, but you, I don't think you can look at the first two games and be unhappy with what you've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. <laughs> um, I think there's two thing. There's two elements of playing guys for the first time or or first real time at play here. I think the first thing is, and this is where Michigan's off season deserves credit. They found answers at positions they needed answers at. You know, Nikai Hill Green stepped up in a huge way. Uh, David Ajabo, I think, stepped up in a huge way. Mozzie Smith, I think, you know, I think all three of those guys still have work to be done. But I think it's very telling, all three of those guys, top 10 on Michigan's team in snaps. I mean, this was a defense that was bringing back a lot of players. They beat out older veteran players who struggled last season. And and I think I think have more or less hit the ground running. So I think, in, and these were guys, maybe not so much Nakai Hill Green, but, but Smith and Jabo, third-year guys that, that had been around a while. And everyone was kind of wondering, okay, this has got to be the year, right? Or this is kind of the now or never moment. And, you know, you could throw Mike Morris. He's 12th on the team in defensive snaps. DJ Turner, he's 13th. Um, you know, they stepped up. And so I think that's one credit to them but two I think a credit to the coaches for identifying who can step up and finding a way to help them step up and that and and maybe not making every player earn their stripes and this goes more to my second stage of development or second part of this I think Michigan's old coaches and it wasn't just Don Brown I think Michigan's old coaching regime was very much built on the 90s and 2000s style of football where every coach was dreaming that, you know, their, their four-star recruit wouldn't start until their redshirt sophomore year because they might stay for three years and you just have that amazing depth. I mean, Alabama used to be kind of built that way. Uh, You know, there used to be five-star recruits who wouldn't play until year three, but then by year four, by the end of year four, they were first round picks. But nowadays, you can't really operate like that. If you're, if you're trying to be an elite team or you're recruiting players who can go to the NFL, let's put it like that, you can't really be that kind of team. You have to play guys as a freshman or you're basically just wasting a year of them. You know, think, think about Daxton Hill. I mean, he played a decent amount as a freshman, but he's gone after this year. Pretty much no matter what. Uh, you know, think about someone like... Well, I don't know. You, you know which five stars we're talking about. It just seemed like year one or, or first round pick, second round pick type players. It's like year one, we didn't hear from them at all. And then by the time they got good, they were you know, halfway out the door. And so it's, 
I, I think there are just players who are ready to contribute now. Alabama plays true freshmen. Clemson plays true freshmen. Ohio State plays true freshmen. And Oklahoma plays true freshmen. They all not only play true freshmen, they start true freshmen. And so I think, I think it's really important. So when I see, and, and true freshmen, given COVID, we can throw redshirt freshmen in there too. When I see RJ Moten is fifth on the team in snaps through two games, when I see Junior Colson is in the top 15, you know, uh, Jalen Harrell is right behind him. Chris Jenkins, I think, I think is another guy. I mean, you know, he, his snap count's going to be lower just because of the position he plays. But man, he had a, he had a phenomenal game. I think, so I think there's, there's a really a lot to be excited about if you're a Michigan fan, because these players are, are one ready to play, but two getting the opportunity to play instead of having to maybe earn their stripes. And, and some players, I mean, there's going to be ups and downs. I think, I think, you know, someone like Colson, Rod Moore, uh, really liked Steve. I don't know. I don't know if you ca- caught it, but Braden McGregor, there were a couple snaps that were, I'm sure he would like to have done things differently, but then there were a couple snaps where you're like, Oh, there he is, you know, there's someone. And so I think it, it's so much easier, I think to work off of game film than just work off practice and to actually go out there with the fans. Mike McDonald, I asked him about this very topic today and he pointed out that more than half of their defense had never played before fans before or half the play, half the two deep had never played before fa- before fans before. And that's, I guess that's true. I mean, you know, Washington was very much a kind of their first time in that, in that atmosphere and in that environment. So yeah, I think I, I, you know, I, this was something that you and I talked about pretty much the entire off season, but now we're seeing it. And I think that's a very encouraging sign to, not just this season, but future seasons. I think when they recruit someone they really like, you don't have to wait a year to see them. You know, if they're good, they can play. I think it, I think it fuels competition. I think it helps sell the defense to recruits. And I think it speaks to maybe a, a, a shorter learning curve than what the previous defense was. So guess we'll see. I still think it's a, an untested defense to some extent. I'm not sold on Washington's offense, but but that was something that really stood out to me. Um, next topic before we hit a break, I think you and I are probably sick of this topic, but it is still being discussed. The, the game plan. What is your concern level one to 10 about Michigan's passing game through two games? I think they've only thrown 20, no 32 passes. I think the only teams that have thrown fewer passes are army and air force. Is, is there, I mean, the, it, the concern level is obviously not zero. So what is your concern level with this passing offense? Just in how, how infrequently it's been used. Clearly the run game is going to work. But I, I think it's pretty apparent over the years that Michigan's schedule is going to require both if they really want to, I guess, exceed expectations this season, be a top 15, top 20 program. Where are you at with this with this game plan? Just in terms of, is it something concerning? Should Michigan make it an emphasis this weekend? Those kind of topics. Any concern I have about Michigan's passing game has absolutely zero to do with what happened on Saturday. That'd be the way I would start it. And I say that as, I think I posted this too. My, like I did a post game thing or something on Monday. 
during the game, I was kind of like, what the hell? You know, so there's a couple third and longs. They ran it. It was like, okay. As the game continued, it was like, okay, all right. They're obviously seeing something, you know, that they don't really feel the need to pass the ball. Then on rewatch, it was, it was a no brainer. Uh, I think we went into the game. I just saw a mock draft. I don't know who I can't, was it Fox sports or somebody, uh, both Trent McDuffie or uh, McDuffie and, and Kyler Gordon are both first round pick first round picks in this mock draft. And Washington never brought their safeties any closer than within about 15 to 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. Hassan Haskins has never fumbled. I don't know if Blake Corum has either. I know he hasn't touched the ball nearly as often, but either way, I, I, I don't know how you – the way Michigan won that game, coming like looking back and rewatch, I don't know how you're not ecstatic about how they won that game. They mauled a Pac-12 decent front seven. They're not great. You know, they're not, they're not great. I know the one of their big linebackers was out for the year, whatever. But, I mean, that's, that's – I, I, I feel like that's what people have wanted to see. I, I know, like – from the offensive line, right? I mean, we've we've wondered if they could put a, together a dominant performance on a primetime stage. They've done it a few times in the past. This felt different because it felt like they were running the same four plays over and over again. And this is the way I said it too. And I don't care. I don't, anybody that argues otherwise to me, I, I'm sorry, you'll never convince me otherwise. If Michigan had thrown the ball 60 times and run it 10 times, and this, they had won by three. They beat Washington by three touchdowns. Nobody would be talking about this at all. There would be no talk about is Michigan concerned about the running game? What's wrong with Michigan's ability to run the football? No, people would be like psyched and ecstatic, you know, uh, about the passing, about the quarterback, about the receivers. It's exciting. Um, you know, nobody will convince me otherwise. So, that being said, that doesn't mean there aren't questions about the passing game. My thing is I just don't attach what happened on Saturday to that. Michigan, basically Washington, refused to adjust, basically laid it out. This is how we're going to play defense, beat us. And Michigan said, okay, we'll beat you. And they did. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, that's almost about – that's really about how simple it is. I mean, you're, you're talking six, seven yards a pop. Between two running backs, you're not even riding one guy into the ground. You're able to split carries. You know, I just, it just made, at the end of the day, it made too much sense for Michigan to just keep doing whatever they were doing that was working. I think I even said during the game, you know, they kept running that counter, the one that Corum would eventually break. To me, it was, it was so clear that they saw something there that they knew that they were on the verge of either breaking it or for all the way or breaking it for a big play because they, they kept running that same play and they finally hit it. To me, that said, they saw some clear, they, there were clear signs and patterns there uh, in Washington's defense that, that told them that they could keep running that play and that it was going to succeed. And uh, the touchdown run by Corum was not the last time they ran that play either. Right. That, that, that pull counter. So, uh, you know, no, I, I, like I said, it's, this, this is all setting up for some stupid thing where if, if Michigan is to lose at some point in the season that, you know, is, this, is somebody actually going to have the audacity to make the argument that it's, it's because they didn't pass more against Washington in week two? 
you know, like I just think about how dumb that argument sounds, uh, you know, despite the fact that, again, there are questions about the passing game just because they haven't used it so much. And in the, in the, the sets they ran, McNamara didn't look super comfortable, but I just think Michigan was content with playing a conservative brand, even on the passing side of things with the screw the bubbles and the short passes and stuff. Um, really the only, the one or the couple times they opened it up, it worked, you know? And so, uh, you know, I'm not, no. And I think more people, more and more people have come over to the side that I'm arguing right now, you know, after on second watch and after like actually seeing what Washington was doing defensively. But, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody disagrees like with what you said that, that of course in the bigger, in some of the bigger games left on the schedule, they're going to have to pass the ball to win the game. They're not going to be able to do this all season long. I don't think any person would rationally be able to make that argument, but that doesn't mean that in that, in the context of a given game that you don't take the, what, what you think is the best opportunity to win. They won by three touchdowns. They were at what a six point, seven point favorite. You know, they won by three touchdowns in it. And it really wasn't even outside of maybe a, two or three minute span was never really a close game or a game that felt like, Oh man, I don't know, Michigan. I don't know. You know? So yeah, I, it's just, it's gotta always be something, I guess. Um, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually had the opposite view as, as you at the beginning of the game. I, I, I have to go look at my tweets to pull it up, but I remember, typing and tweeting in like the first quarter they really ought to just run off tackle the entire game I don't know if I used the exact phrase off tackle but but something along those lines where it's like they could honestly just pull this off the whole game they're getting so much push the running backs are obviously ready my thing and this is where I'm at maybe a three or a four on the concern level is actually after the game was out of hand, because I think running in this game to, to the point where you have a victory is very smart. It, it, I guess is the most consistent and run until Washington stops it. That's not a bad philosophy for Michigan this season. Look, they're not going to, in all likelihood, they're not going to be a college football playoff team, but if you're trying to win, yeah, your best players are probably, you know, your big, meaty run blocking friendly offensive linemen and your experienced super strong running backs that I think that was I, always the strength of the team I think when I did my position group power rankings I think running back was second or third and and offensive line was third or fourth so so I don't I don't dislike that game plan where I think Michigan might have done a miscue and maybe I am just overthinking it here just because I, I have to write so many stories and I've already written about Michigan's run identity several times. Um, if you're up by 20 points in the fourth quarter, that to me is your time. If, it, if you're not going to pull your starters, which Michigan, I don't believe they, they really pulled a ton of starters on offense maybe that's the time to try the passing game out. If you're, if that's not your identity, if that's not your bread and butter, you don't have to put anything crazy on film, but let Cade throw something. If I'm not mistaken, he only had one pass that was more than like a couple of yards. 
it was as far as downfield, I, I, there's really just that 33 yarder to Cornelius Johnson. And that was it. Um, maybe that's your time to practice the vertical passing game. And I, I understand the counter there is when you're up big, you're supposed to kind of run the clock out. I don't know. I mean, Jim Harbaugh doesn't always listen to, to what conventional wisdom would suggest to me that if, if, if I were to, to nitpick a little bit, because I think I said in the, in the post game podcast, they won by 21. Every single person who watched that game that is a Michigan fan, if you had been told before the game, yeah, Michigan will win by 21, they would have said, great. Perfect. Ideal. Sounds great. So, you, you, you know, I don't think you anyone with a concern level more than five or six is either looking for attention or was probably going to have a panic level over five or six, no matter what happened in that game. But I, I think it's fair to, to wonder if it's important for Michigan to, to establish a vertical passing game, because that is something that you can't really simulate a ton of in practice. You can work on your chemistry, you can work on the play timing, but in terms of a receiver running downfield with someone who, with a, a safety who's ready to blow him up or Cade McNamara having to escape the pocket, you know, facing a, a 280 pound defensive lineman trying to bury him in the turf. You can't really simulate that in practice. It's just, it's just not the same. Uh, and so I, I think that, I think there was a slight missed opportunity. I think it's fair to say Michigan doesn't feel fully comfortable in winning the game via pass. Same time. I, I, I think it's better. I don't think it's quite as dire. And I think the situation did not call for it, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. There was no reason for them to stop running. The only reason would have been if they want to work on their passing. If I ran the show, I probably would have sprinkled in a few vertical passes just to give you know, your relatively new quarterback reps, give your receivers, especially now that Ronnie Bell is gone. Not a ton, not, not a, not a, you know, not a bad receiver room, but an inexperienced one. Sure. This is where that experience maybe could have been built. Anyways, we're going to hit a break on the other side. We'll talk Michigan, Northern Illinois. What would constitute a successful weekend for Michigan? Over under picks, final game predictions. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, I, I'll just ask you uh, what what would constitute a successful weekend 
for Michigan. I think the expectation from both of us is that they would win and probably win handily. But in terms of either the development of the team, maybe sending a message, working on certain things, in your eyes, what would constitute a successful weekend for the Michigan football team? keep the heavy rotation going defensively, if not, maybe even give a couple more guys opportunities if they're, if they've earned it. You know, we heard a lot of good things about Jaden McBurrows in fall camp. Um, you know, obviously they've shown no, they've shown a proclivity for the, for giving the true freshman an opportunity, you know, maybe something, maybe get a guy like that out there. Some, some good run. Um, again, if he's ready yeah, that, that part, maybe you're not quite certain on at this point, but, um, and then, yeah, so this would be the week, this week and next week, you know, maybe make the passing game more, more of a focal point. Uh, I think, I think the biggest part of it, yes, getting McNamara going, but, but I think you mentioned at the tail end there is with Ronnie Bell out, I think it's, I think one, one player, I think I'd like to see Michigan maybe build up some confidence with is Roman Wilson. It's clear by the snap count that he, they think he's the, what, number two or three guy at worst with bell out, you know, from Saturday's game, I think, um, you know, so I think he certainly has the trust of the coaches in terms right. of blocking multiple different lining up in multiple spots and everything like that, that what kind of what Ronnie bell brought. Right. So I think getting a guy like him going, I think would be good. And I also, the other guy I still want, I think Michigan should really try to get going in the passing game is, is Eric all, um, I call it a half drop. Last Saturday, I think it did. Did it go in the official statistics as a drop, right? I think any drop stats in college are technically unofficial, but. Oh, whatever. Either way. Yeah. A ball that I think would have been pretty difficult to catch um, that he didn't. So, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a big deal. I mean, he, I thought he played pretty well besides that though. I thought he blocked, had a couple of really nice plays in the blocking, in the blocking game, that type of stuff. But I think getting those two guys going, I'm not so worried about Cornelius Johnson. Um, made a great play on the one deep ball he had on Saturday. I think he's, I still yeah. think he's a, a, a really talented player that is eventually, I think, would bow out, I think would be their leading receiver at the end of the year. But I think getting a couple of those other guys going, Wilson in particular. And then also the other thing successfully for me has to be uh, the punt return situation. I, I really, would like to see AJ Henning out there. I think it's, this is a great game to give somebody else an opportunity. I said, like we said, after the game on Saturday was, we're not impressed by Colasar, a couple of really huge mistakes. And it sounded like Jim Harbaugh made it sound like they were moving on. Yeah. That seemed to be the tone, but, but Caden Colasar was made available to us Tuesday night. So I don't think, I mean, they still like him a lot. I think, Oh yeah. I think they're just under the impression and this is not a dig at Colasar because I think he's quick. I think he's short area quick more than people realize. But yeah, someone like Henning should probably be your punt returner. Just I honestly, agree. like, <laughs> don't don't overthink it, right? You know, just, just make that was, the catch and, yes. and run. <laughs> yep, that's been my thought too. Um, so that would be that would be something else that would constitute success. So heavy defensive rotation continues. Um getting a couple of the, maybe the second and third wide receiver and Eric all involved in the passing game. And then, and then the punt return stuff. 
Yeah, on on offense, I think I think you're right that this should probably be a vertical passing game. I would also add, in addition to working your tight ends in, getting them involved, getting the receivers involved, this is probably the game to give Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum a little bit of a break, right? I mean, running backs take a beating. I think I don't I don't remember who said this to me, but someone someone along the way over the years has said that was a running back at Michigan. I can't remember which one it was, but basically said, yeah, I think I asked him like when if if he was a hundred percent in this game, and he's like, hundred percent is a myth. Running backs are lucky to be at 70%, you know, during the, the it, toward the end of the season. And so, um, yeah, this would probably be a game to, to let them rest. I mean, if, if, if they like Donovan Edwards, I think this should be a game where he's maybe not, he doesn't have to take the most carries, but he should take a lot more. And the carries that Haskins and Corum should be taking should not be the kind that are going to one risk injury, but two, wear them down a little bit Um, because they do have a good run game. I think it will work in a lot of games. I think they will win more games than not largely due to their, to their success in the run game. Might as well save it. They're probably going to (laughs) win, you know? So I, in addition to what you said about getting McNamara some confidence, maybe seeing a little bit more of what you have in McCarthy, I don't think I don't know if Michigan has closed the door on him starting this season, uh, but regardless, doesn't doesn't hurt to let him air it out a little bit. On the defensive side, I, I like the idea of a rotation. I think the first half, though, I, I I do think there's some value in in letting just because the defense is still new, the, the like schematically, and then there's a lot of players that we've mentioned that maybe still want to build some confidence or still trying to assert themselves. Maybe keep the the two deep active or in there just a little bit longer, just to let them build some confidence. I mean, just imagine, you know, I think Chris Hinton had is a good example of someone who um, has had an up and down career. I think he had a pretty nice game last week, but imagine if they let him get some serious run, you know, didn't worry too much about if you make one mistake, we're pulling you. And imagine if he can have a two tackle for loss type game, you know, what can that do? What, what can that give him to build on for the rest of the season? I think McBurrows is a good example of a player. They got, they could work in. I think that in the, in the cornerbacks room, I think Turner, I think, you know, maybe George Johnson, maybe this is a game. If, if players are citing him as the hardest player to go up against, maybe, maybe this is a game where he can get some true game experience. Yeah, it starts to build a little bit of that depth at positions where you might not feel fully comfortable with your depth just yet. So anyways, uh, yeah, special teams, hard to argue. Hard to argue with what you, know, what you said about Colasar. Um, otherwise, I mean, their special teams have been really exceptional. You know, borderline best in the Big Ten other than the punt returns. Time for our over-unders. Last week, I got six out of eight right. Steve, you got five out of eight right. On the offensive side of the ball, these, of course, come from from Neil, who's on the board. He's also on Twitter. Um, I think Beige Galaga is his handle on Twitter. I, I, I I don't know if I said that right, but 
Number one on offense, 17.5 passing attempts for Michigan's quarterbacks. Man, that is such a low number, but but it's not erroneously low. I mean, that's consistent with what they've done so far this season. Over, under, 17.5 passing attempts. I'll go with the over on that one. If not this week, then when, I suppose. Although, like I said, nothing against what they did last week. So, But this would be the time. So I'm going to go with the over. Uh, yeah, I think part of me does want to say under just because they, I mean, against Western Michigan, they didn't, I think they threw 17 times. So it's part of me wonders if they're just, that's just how they're going to do it. I am going to say over though. I think this is a game where they, you know, just make sure McNamara, make sure they know what they have in the passing game in a game situation. 184.5 rushing yards for Haskins and Corum. Uh, over. They're I averaging mean, more than that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you though. I that was one thing I, I agree about the Edwards stuff. I think this, you know, yeah, you need these. You need both of these guys fresh against Michigan State, Penn State, whatever. So I think you know these are important games for them to. You still want to get them some carries, but yeah, you don't want to run them into the ground, you know, but either way, I still think they are effective enough early on. Maybe, maybe a long run, a couple sustained drives. I, I think they, I think they go slightly over. Yeah. And, and I, I, I can't help but wonder if Michigan would like one of them to get over a hundred yards. I mean, I'm sure they both want to get a thousand rushing yards. And I'm sure Michigan wouldn't be mad about that, you know, just in the optics of everything. If they can have an all big 10 running back, maybe, maybe ensure Haskins gets drafted, give them a little bit of honestly a draft streak at running back after, after such a long drought. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say under though. I, I don't, that's just a high number. Um, especially if, if my hunch is that maybe this is a game where they, they try to get other players involved. 79.5 receiving yards for Cornelius Johnson and Eric All combined. I'll go over. It's going to be a lot of overs this week, I think. Yeah, Northern Illinois does not have a good defense. They can put up some points, but they're just – feels like a game where Michigan will kind of be able to do what it wants to do. I am going to say under, though, because in these games, Michigan loves to spread the ball around. So really, to get that many yards, I think one or both of them is going to have to have a 30-yard reception. Uh, I'll take the under. Give us, give us a little bit of a differentiation here. Michigan averages 5.5 points per red zone opportunity. So they have to settle for field goals or get stopped in the red zone. I'm going to just quickly say over. I think, I think they'll be able to impose their will a little bit on Northern Illinois. I think Michigan's offensive line is it's good enough this year where they won't, it won't be a, they won't have like a letdown or a, or a disappointing performance against an inferior opponent. We've seen some offensive lines in Michigan's past, maybe kind of like where that performance come from. I don't think that's the case this year. I think they go out and I think they continue to maul. So I'll say over as well. Yeah, I guess the one caveat is if they take a knee in the red zone at the end of either half, then that pretty much ends any chance of it being 5.5 points per 
opportunity. Anyways, on to the defense. Does the defense allow Rocky Lombardi to complete 54% of his passes or more? That's a tough one. Um, I think they're out for revenge. Say under. Yeah, and I don't think his completion percentage was super high against Michigan last season. He just had a couple gigantic plays that were that were super detrimental to Michigan's chances of winning. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna say under as well. I I, I don't know. Just it doesn't doesn't feel like a lot of teams are completing that many. I know Washington and and I think Western Michigan both technically were above that number, but I yeah, if they if there's any sort of desire for revenge and and you know McDonald mentioned it, a couple of defensive players, DJ Turner mentioned it. Yeah, there could be a little bit of a of a chip on their shoulder. Three and a half sacks or more combined for the defense from everyone not named Aiden Hutchinson. Your thoughts? Not named Aiden Hutchinson. That's a tough one. Um, I'll say under, even though it's, it's enticing because you know that Northern Illinois is going to have to throw the ball to move it. So I feel like this is, there's a lot of potential on Saturday for some sacks. Uh, I'll still say under though. I think Hutchinson kind of carries them in that regard still. Well, according to the stats I saw, and hopefully I'm not missing, misreading this, Northern Illinois has only allowed six sacks all year, and, and they haven't played Michigan, but you know I don't think their schedule's been a bunch of nobodies. I mean, it's been Georgia Tech and, and Wyoming. Um, I'm going to say under. I don't know how many sacks Aiden Hutchinson gets, but I don't know. Got to think they're going to be game planning around trying to not get sacked. Next up, 1.5 turnovers forced by the defense. Turnovers have still been a little bit of an issue for this defense. You know, some dropped interceptions. I think there were a couple other opportunities where maybe they could have could have gone for the ball instead of the play. The, the overall results of the defense have been pretty good, but still not quite a turnover-happy defense does that change this week do they get two or more i think I'll, they'll, I'll go over i think they'll i think they'll force a few turnovers on saturday i think maybe that starts to change here like i said i think northern illinois they're gonna have to pass the ball to move it I've, on a consistent basis i think michigan a couple pressure turnovers uh we'll put them over the top i'll say over. i'm gonna say under don't have a cool stat to, to go with it but but just I don't know <laughs> seems hard to predict two turnovers on a defense that, that really hasn't been producing a ton of them so far okay here we go here's a special teams one Michigan's longest punt oh this is this is wild Michigan's longest punt is 4.5 yards or more longer than their longest field goal made in the game that one's a total shot in the dark. I don't think there's any way you can really predict that. But Brad Robbins is off to a pretty good start this season. I think he's averaging around 45 yards per punt. So it's really, do they make a 40-yard field goal or more in this game? What do you think? Over whatever the field goal one is. Like, I think they do that. I think they make a field goal that's longer than... 
Oh, okay. Okay. So that would be under. under. Sorry. Okay. Unless, unless Brad Robbins sends a very long, like 60 yard punt or something. No, I'll say under. What did they say? Jake Moody, Jake Moody said his, his, uh, didn't, uh, Jay Harbaugh said that Moody said his field goal would have been good from 70 on Saturday. Yeah. He had the wind. (laughs) What's the NFL record? 65, 66. You think he's going to, I don't think he, no, no, no. I was just, I was, what I was saying He's not going to kick a 70 yard field goal. (laughs) What I was saying is Moody has the boot and I think he'll, I think he'll make one from uh, the 40, 45 or whatever. Uh, And yeah, so I'm going to go with under. He's not making a 70 yarder. I was just saying he's got, (laughs) he's got a good boot. He showed it. I know. I know. It's, it's just funny how like, I mean, myself included, people were so down at Jake Moody and he kicks one 52 yarder and everyone's like oh yeah he can make 60 yarders now <laughs> and so um all american he's got to kick a lot more field goals brad robbins however is on track i think i think he's trending toward all american stats believe he's top 10 in hang time uh net punting probably still need a, a, a larger sample size for that to settle down i don't think he ranks i think he's like in the 20s for that but but his number so far has been very good I'm going to take the over on this one. I think I think Robbins sends one 55 plus in this game. It seems like he can have one once in a while. You know, if he's got the wind or if the returner doesn't doesn't catch it, I suppose. All right, finally, final score prediction for this game: Michigan versus Northern Illinois. Forty-one to. What's the spread? 27, 28, um, mm-hmm. yeah. 41 to 17. I think Northern Illinois, a junk touchdown cover. I think, okay. uh, you know, I think, but again, I don't, you know, I don't think there's much concern about this game. I think Michigan, the energy, I, I'd say this, I know got a message from, we'll say someone very close to the program says the players are having a lot more fun this year. I think that's a really big deal. Uh I think that's a, a meaningful statement. So I, I, I think there's just a better energy. I don't, I don't think there's any chance of a letdown here. I think they take it to them. But again, I think a late, maybe a late junker uh, for Northern Illinois to cover. Yeah, I, it, this feels like it has a, has let down potential this game, not, not in a, it's a sense of Michigan losing, but it, you know, coming off an emotional win, maybe reading your own headlines a little bit, patting yourselves on the back a little bit. I think, I think, you know, a lot of there's, there's some concern potential. So I'm very curious to see, I am not predicting that to happen, but I, I, there's a small part of me that's like, I could see this starting out close before Michigan kind of regroups. I'm going to say Michigan 42 Northern Illinois seven. So I, I, I think that they give up one touchdown, but I think that's really, that's really it. I think, I think I'm a little bit more sold on the defense than I might've been a couple weeks ago. Guess we'll see how it goes for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Lots of preview content coming or stories from this week's press conferences coming over at the Michigan insider.com Michigan 24 seven sports.com. There will be a recruiting podcast as well. So you can get kind of updated on how things went this weekend and what that means. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.